From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. There's a lot of inherent advantages to offsite construction, even with traditional materials. Uh, one of the biggest being that you can be building the unit while you're doing the, the site work. So you're automatic, you're guaranteeing shorter timelines. Uh, you can also, so because like with one of these, we can deliver, and once the, pat, the uh, foundation's completed, we can deliver and install and seal and weld and inspect in a day. In fact, we, we recently did that with one of our duos, which is a two module unit in San Leandro. Um, to be fair, that's somewhat rare that you get all the subcontractors and the inspectors to actually show up on the same, like, but it is possible. That was Sam Rubin. He's the chief sustainability officer and co-founder of Oakland-based Mighty Buildings. Mighty Buildings is on a quest to build homes using 3D printing, robotics, and automation. Their system is able to build homes two times as quickly with 95% less labor hours and 10 times less waste than conventional construction. In fact, they can 3D print a 350 square foot studio apartment in just 24 hours. He joined the show today to talk about the company and the journey to bring 3D printing to construction. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, why don't we just start with kind of what is Mighty Buildings, and we'll go from there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's a great opportunity. Really appreciate it to the chance to share what we're doing and chance to connect with you. I still remember when we uh, first met down in uh, Auburn. Uh, down Alabama at the end. Uh, was it the first center of excellence uh, workshop for ASTM? On I that think main- that's right. I think so. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was, that was a great event. Uh, but yeah, so Mighty Build. So we are 3D printing housing, but unlike a lot of the other 3D printing companies in the space, we are not using concrete. We have actually developed a unique material that we can 3D print using light. So if uh, people may be familiar with some of the synthetic stones like Corian and others that have been used for countertops and building claddings and other use cases in construction going back to the 60s. Same, same idea, same, same type of material. So it's a thermoset composite. But instead of casting it into big uh, pieces that we then mill down to create the shapes we need, we've developed a unique formulation and a unique production process that actually allows us to 3D print it using extrusion and then cure it with a UV light that hits it as soon as it comes out which is really uh, pretty, pretty cool. Cause what it means is not only can we do the floors and the walls, but we can also do the ceiling and it opens up whole new possibilities in terms of design because the material cures quickly enough that it can support its own weight. So that means we can do unsupported spans, we can do curves, we can do fun stuff like that. But what's awesome is that it still has full chemical, co- chemical cohesion between the layers. So that's, that's one of the really keys to what we're doing is like, cause with 3D print concrete, you're still dealing with mechanical adhesion uh, so you, and, and if you're not careful and with your formula and everything, you can end up with cold joints, layer separation and other things, which is much less of an issue with what we're doing. Additionally, because of the unique nature of our material, even though it's really strong, um, and we actually have a new fiber reinforced version of it that we're moving through certification now and hoping to begin delivering units with at the end of later this year, very beginning of next year. And so that fiber reinforced version has a strength profile similar to steel reinforced concrete with four times less weight and four times better insulating properties. And so even though it's really, really strong like that, one of the exciting things is that 
it's still soft enough that we can mill it with CNC heads that are normally used for metals like aluminum and copper. So that means that we can leave the raw print, which some people really love and are willing to pay a lot of money to have done traditional uh, materials. Um, and it really is. And we've got the, it dialed in, it's like a four millimeter, beautiful print. Um, just like, it, it actually looks gorgeous, but we can also mill it. So it's a smooth stone-like finish. Or, and this is where I get excited, and we haven't had the opportunity to do this yet because none of our designs have called for it, but there's no reason we couldn't do, make it look like brickwork, make it look like siding, or make it look like something no one's ever seen before, or a completely new facade that plays with print milled and unmilled. And so there's a lot, a lot of exciting opportunities, both in terms of form as well as finish when it comes to uh, aesthetic possibilities. And so I, what's yeah. the, like, uh, there's a lot of kind of dialogue <laughs> about 3D printing and construction, but like, what are some of the underlying challenges in the construction space that for those who may not be familiar with it, are like should be aware of what should we, we yeah do, other than uh, prices are out of control <laughs> well i mean that's that's a, that's more of an opportunity than a challenge for us but uh because we're not using lumber so we're avoiding that thirty-six thousand in additional costs for an average uh, single family home that we've seen since 2019 uh, due to lumber costs but so what some of the big challenges are regulatory um and just inherent to the to the nature of the industry because the sad reality is that the building codes are written in blood they exist because things went wrong and people got hurt and people died. So be, demonstrating that safety is, is crucially important. Additionally, because of that reality and, and others as well, the construction industry and construction officials tend to be more uh, conservative. They tend to be, be slow to adopt new technologies. And again, I get that. Building codes exist because people died and we're trying to avoid that at all costs. So what we've been doing is we've been focusing on the regulatory side of things from the very beginning. So we've partnered with UL, Underers Laboratories, which is one of the world's oldest and largest 3D um, third-party certifying agencies. And what's really cool about them is that along with having over 100 years of building life safety experience, I mean, they were doing fire testing back at like the beginning of the last century or maybe even the late 1800s. I mean, you can't because of the Chicago fire, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, fire testing because of the shark. Again, things went wrong and people died, unfortunately. But what's cool is that not they have that amazing life building experience, but also some of the world's leading experts in additive manufacturing. So they're uniquely situated to understand both the technology and then be like understand what does it look like to demonstrate code compliance of that technology. So they've been been an amazing partner and working with them, we've actually helped them develop UL 3401, which is the world's first standard for 3D printed construction. Additionally, uh, that's been added as an adoptable appendix to the 2021 International Residential Code, uh, which will be published beginning of next year, which means that municipalities and jurisdictions will actually be able to take that appendix and adopt it formally into their code. Um, and beyond that, they're also working on getting it added to the IBC. Additionally, there have been a number of efforts with ICC, the International Code Council, on the concrete side. So originally you had Contour Crafting, which is a 3D printing concrete company out of uh, Los Angeles area, who worked with ICC to get an ev a evaluation report and an acceptance criteria created for 3D printed concrete. That has since been expanded to allow for up to four stories in more concert with Black Buffalo, which is another uh, 3D printed concrete company that produces uh, printers there, I believe, uh, connected to some part of the Hyundai uh, conglomerate I can't remember which one, uh, but they're doing some really interesting work in that space too, to again, move, move the regulatory space forward. Um, additionally, there's efforts, ongoing efforts with ASTM. Um, we're, we're actually leading their sub, uh, subsection on 
F forty two oh seven oh seven subsection on the application of additive manufacturing to construction. Uh, there's also efforts, joint efforts between ISO and ASTM. I believe it's a uh, joint group eighty. That's, that's similarly working on standards for construction. And then there's also been some efforts in, uh, I believe the ASTM CO2, CO6 and CO9 committees working on 3D printed concrete standards. And one, and also I'm also involved with ASTM's um, E5203 committee or two, oh, two, I think, uh, which is the climate and community. And so that's one of the things that we're really excited about is how do we make sure that as we're developing the standards, we're bringing sustainability and re resilience, regeneration into that. Because given the nature of the housing crisis, I mean, we need over a billion houses globally to, to actually help ensure people have access to, to attain, can attain housing and housing with dignity. Currently, construction is 11% of all GHG emissions. Building energy use is another 30% almost of building energy emissions. So that means buildings, both the building of them and the use of them account for almost 40% of all global emissions. Now, if we're gonna build a billion plus houses globally, and I do think 3D printing has a huge role to play in this, we have to figure out how do we do it in a way that doesn't exacerbate the climate crisis and ideally is actually a part of the solution for, kind of, for pulling us back from the brink. And so 3D printing, both what we're doing and just more broadly, I think has a huge opportunity because unlike a lot of construction technologies, we only use, it only uses the material you need. You're not starting with a big piece and cutting it down and then having to figure out what do you do with these small pieces, which often end up in landfill. You actually can just, from the beginning, exactly what you need. And because of the ability to do unique geometries and everything, we can actually create structures that use less material than it would be if it was being built with nor uh, traditionally. And do you build your kind of, there's an example in, in your background of, of one of your buildings, but do you build that offsite and then bring it to a fixed location? Because I imagine like in yeah. seeing houses, kind of go up around the neighborhood. I mean, it's a big logistics issue. You're waiting for this material, that material, there's weather involved. Like how, how does how does your process differ? Yeah, so we, we've embraced uh, prefabrication. Um, there's some, a lot of inherent advantages to offsite construction, even with traditional materials. Uh, one of the biggest being that you can be building the unit while you're doing the, the site work. So you're, you're guaranteeing shorter timelines. Uh, you can also, so because like with one of these, we can deliver, and once the, the uh, foundation's completed, we can deliver and install and seal and weld and inspect in a day. In fact, we, we recently did that with uh, one of our duos, which is a two module unit in San Leandro. Um, to be fair, that's somewhat rare that you get all the subcontractors and the inspectors to actually show up on the same, like, but it is possible. Um, and so that meant that the site work, like there's about two weeks, foundation got poured, two weeks and what's and now the contractors are doing the, the landscaping. And so really, really straightforward, easy process there. Additionally, one, and this is, gets back to the regulatory side of things. Because we're doing prefabrication, we can certify our units through the state of California rather than having to get a building permit from every individual jurisdiction. We still, we still need local permits for the foundation, the site work, and we still need to go through the zoning and plan check. But for the code compliance, we're actually working with a third party that's certified by the state of California under the factory built housing program that's overseen by uh, the Department of Housing and Community Development. And so what's cool about that is instead of having to convince every local jurisdiction that we meet code and having that conversation every time, we have the plans reviewed once by at the state level, we get that stamp and then we bring that to the local official. And oh, so there's some education involved there too, because a lot of, a lot of local building officials aren't 
as familiar with the program as they might be. Um, and obviously there's an element of a feeling of loss of, control, of local control, which is understandable. Uh, so we've developed a whole process and worksheet to help them understand where their responsibilities are, where our responsibilities are, where the state certified agency's responsibilities are. Um, and it, and it works pretty well, especially given how backed up so many uh, jurisdictions have been. They kind of they're beginning to really appreciate the simplicity um, and the ease that that a, a factory built house uh, brings. That said, many three D printing is uh, particularly with concrete is still happening on site. And what's interesting about that is, particularly here in the U.S., because of code, what you're really doing is printing formwork. You're not really printing a complete wall. So what happens is you print a um, couple feet. You still have to then add rebar. You still have to then add cement into the interior of that so it meets code. And then you print another, another few feet, do it again, let it cure. And so there's definitely some inherent drawbacks there. I do think as the material improves and as we're able to get more traction with some of these uh, novel um, formulations, that there's definitely some real positives to 3D printed concrete. Um, particularly with things like geopolymer and others that can help provide the necessary strength without the need for uh, mandatory uh, for steel reinforcement, as well as, frankly, just a more sustainable material that's uh, able to eliminate the need for Portland cement. And so, what's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And what's the kind of typical use case that you see for for the houses that that you've built? Like, yeah, so they're not. 6,000 square feet there. No, no, we, we very intentionally, again, going back to the, the sustainability question. <laughs> and frankly, I'd, I, I actually hate the word sustainability, um, even though it's in my uh, title uh, as chief sustainability officer. It's really the idea of sustaining the status quo to me is not acceptable. Like, we've already crossed too many lines and there's too many feedback loops that scientists are identifying that for me, it's really important that we start thinking about resilience. How do we create structures that are well-suited to what's already coming down the pipeline, what we're already seeing in terms of fires, in terms of floods, snowstorms, all of this extreme weather. Additionally, that we're doing so in a way that helps regenerate the system and helps us identify ways that we can, we can be better and we can help undo some of the damage that, that's, that's occurred. And so in that regard, we started with accessory dwelling units, which are uh, backyard apartments in uh, Chicago, I believe they're called carriage houses, uh, and which is a great concept that the state of California has really embraced as a tool in helping address our housing crisis. Um, according to a McKinsey report that came out in like 2017, I think, uh, they said that we need three and a half million new homes in California by 2025 to address the, the affordability crisis. We're building less than 100,000 a year. We're not going to get to three point. We're not getting three and a half million homes by 2025. So we need a better way to build and we need to build more. And so the state of California has passed a series of laws making ADUs really easy to permit and streamlining them and really seeing them as a, as a key tool and key low hanging fruit in creating additional density. For us, we saw it as a great opportunity to go to market, demonstrate our viability of our technology, begin our certification process without competing against the builders and developers who we've always seen as our end users. So we've been working direct with consumers, going straight to homeowners, providing full turnkey experience where we handle the permitting, we handle the, all the site work, foundation, utilities, unit delivery, installation, all of that. Make it as easy as possible for the homeowner. And that's been absolutely amazing. The look on, the smiles we get on people's faces when we're, we give them the keys are incredible. And they rent, they go from everything from, uh, some people are using them as rentals, some people are using them as pool houses, some people just using them because they want more space because in the pandemic they realize, oh wow, I do not have as much house as I thought I did. Um, but I'm not going to move three hours away to find a house that's bigger because that's just what, that's what happens in the Bay, unless you like want to drop an extra mill. Yeah. Are you able to that, talk about price at all in terms of? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So we're what we're so with these units with the duo you see behind me, which is a, a one bedroom. We have one and two bedroom versions of this. 
the one bedroom's 159, the two bedrooms two, uh, 169 for just the units themselves. But that comes with fully finished bathroom, washer dryer, a dishwasher, refrigerator, uh, microwave, induction cooktop. Uh, comes it has everything you need. And because of the glazing, it feels a lot bigger than, than it is. And so they go on top one, of a garage. Um, not yet, but in theory, I mean, if we can get the permit, sure. I'm looking at my, uh, my garage out the back window. Yeah, I totally do a garage <laughs> conversion. Um, and then fully installed, that ends up being like 30 to 60% more depending on the site. So with these ones, ends up saying about 250 installed. Um, mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't include land uh, because that's one of the things about ADUs is you're putting it onto property where you already have a dwelling. Yep. And then with our studios, which is a, a 350 square foot studio one, that ends up being about 115 for the unit. Again, fully finished, everything you need except for the furniture. And then ends up being like 180 or so, uh, 200 for, for installed. And then we also have a new line of products called the Mighty Homes, which are the first units designed uh, with our Mighty Kit system, which is a new panel system, kind of like the uh, Sears Kit Homes of the, of the 20th century. And this one, these were designed by EYRC architects and bro, along with Burl Habit Engineering. So along with ADUs, starting at about 400 square feet, it actually goes up to a small single family home, uh, three bedroom, two bath, just under 1500 square feet. And we're, that's also is our first foray into working with builders and developers. So we've got a project that was announced in Southern California in Coachella Valley with Polari Group. It's called, that's going to be the world's first 3D printed zero net energy community. So what's really exciting about that is that's, again, our step into, into that B2B space. And because as much as I love the smile on a homeowner's face and we give them those keys to really impact the housing crisis, we, we can't just be doing units one at a time, one or two at a time. We have to be doing them 10, 20, 50, 100, 1,000 at a time. And so that's where working with the, the developers and builders who are putting in projects at scale becomes really, really important. And so where we're headed is to actually be a design product and market agnostic production as a service platform based on a network of uh, what do you call mighty factories uh, like the one we have here in Oakland which we're in an old Pete's coffee warehouse uh, it's only about 79,000 square feet 50,000 square feet of that production floor and out of that we're currently able to do about 300 units a year that ends up being about 360,000 square feet out of that uh, 50,000 square feet of floor where we're going is to actually get to a thousand units a year or 1.2 million square feet of production out of that same 50,000 square feet of uh, production floor and so with that, what that opens up is the possibility because it doesn't make sense to, to ship across the country and across the world from Oakland. Like I love Oakland, I love California, but it is expensive to build here. Uh, and, and again, then you get into also the additional carbon cost of transportation and, and everything. And so what we've, our idea, what we're focused on is a network of mighty factories set up in existing idle capital near where the demand is. So not, not only are we creating housing for market, but we're creating jobs for market and good jobs that don't require you to drive two hours each way, but are actually accessible and attainable. And because we're doing prefabrication, we're taking the most difficult and dangerous parts of the build. I mean, framing of houses is like the second most dangerous job in America after mining. It's like three or 4,000 injuries and deaths a year. And, and we're giving that to the robots and we're giving that to the printers because why put people in harm's way if we don't need to? And in turn, we take reserve that human touch for the part that really makes sense because we're only planning on automating about 80% of the process. There's always going to be a portion that it's just makes sense for humans to do. And so even though we're reducing labor hours overall by 90%, our goal at the end of the day is to actually create more work um, by increasing productivity by over 20 times. So that's that's because what we're truly trying to solve isn't, we're not trying to replace labor. That's, that's not our goal. Our goal is to address the fact we do not have enough people to build all the housing we need. And there's something like 400,000 job, construction jobs open in America right now that no one's taking. Um, and we're, we're losing a lot of skilled labor because they're retiring and they're, and they're not coming back in. Uh, people who used to come in construction are becoming uh, programmers or, go, or joining the gig, uh, gig economy. And we want to create a, bring new technology and 
new way to build so they can actually see ourselves in the construction space again because we need them. Um, and what does it look like in terms of the, like, as you expand out of California into different locations? I mean, say Chicago, where I am. Yeah. Like, the weather is crappy and... and oh, you can read... Oh, Lake Effect Snow is wonderful. <laughs> but there are um, concerns, I know, like, from a concrete perspective, if you're building 3D printed concrete in the middle of winter, like, like it's a it's a tough, tough ask. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the, again, a nice thing about prefab is that we, we're building in a controlled environment. So it really doesn't matter what it's like outside. It just matters what it's like inside when, we, when we're printing. And then we're able to deliver it. And as far as withstanding everything... We've done extensive testing. I mean, part of why we picked California is that along with having one of the most stringent building codes in the, in the world, it also has a lot of climate zones. I mean, we got everything from Death Valley to Tahoe. Uh, so it's important. So being able to deliver California allows us to demonstrate the ability to take snow loads, the ability to take uh, cold weather. We also do extensive testing with UL on uh, extreme cold, extreme heat, variations and testing how that impacts. And it performs really well, really well with all of that. Um, and so it just, it's just a matter of adjusting uh, the design to meet the needs of the specific, uh, specific climate zones. But we've already designed our material and our technology to be incredibly energy efficient. Uh, so for a six inch panel, we're able to get an R value of over, uh, over 20, uh, close to 25 with our new one, I believe. And we're actually actively exploring how do we make that better? Because part of we've actually committed as a company to being carbon neutral by 2028. Uh, which is about 22 years ahead of the broader construction industry, but something that we feel is really, really important because if we're going to solve the housing crisis, we have to be addressing the climate crisis or else we might have housing, but it's not going to be in a world we want to live in anymore. Sure. Um, and so that's something that we're, we're really excited about. But yeah, the prefab definitely makes some big advantage, creates advantages for delivering places like Chicago because we can build in the winter or we can build in the summer when it's just as miserable, but on the opposite end. I mean, I, I grew up in Michigan, so I, I understand I understand a Great Lake summer. It's uh, it's actually, I people think I moved to California because of winter. It's I'd say probably more because of summer. I just, uh, those days of 90% humidity and 90 degrees just now. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about kind of what was your career, sir? How did you get involved with the company? Yeah. So prior to Mighty Buildings, I was working as a sustainability consultant. Um, I did my graduate work here in the Bay at uh, Presidio Graduate School, which is one of the first programs in the world to center the entire curriculum around systems thinking and sustainability. And so I uh, did their dual degree, so both an MBA as well as an MPA, so public as well as business administration, and had been working with organizations, public, private, non nonprofit, helping them identify opportunities to improve sustainability. So looking at their building system, building operations, waste, energy, water, how their employees get to work, how their employees throw out garbage. Like, I mean, it's amazing the impact you can have by moving a garbage can 10 feet. Um, and so I'd help them model out those impacts, but more importantly, I'd help them model out the business impacts. Because for us, and for, for me personally, and for us at Mighty Buildings, sustainability is really about maximizing impact while balancing the needs of people, planet, and profit. And mm -hmm. so it's really like, you can be the greenest, most socially conscious company in the world, but if no one's buying your product, it doesn't matter because you're not gonna have impact because you're gonna go out of business. So really, so being able to make that business case was really important. It also, while the person who brought me in might've been a big sustainability person and really, really gung-ho about it, they still have to make that case to the C-suite. And so I have to, it's, a, it's really important. That's something that we do here too. It's like, okay, here's the sustainability impacts, but more importantly, here's the business, here's the impact of the bottom line. So usually I'd start with the business impacts, then bring in the, oh, and by the way, you're also saving this much water, this much energy, reducing your waste this much, having this, this brand value add, that's this story you get to tell and who you get to be and kind of and show that you're living into your professed values that much better. Um, and I actually, so I connected with my co-founders 
So, because who at the time were based out of Singapore, even though they're all originally from Russia. Uh, our CEO of Slavo is running a venture firm uh, there that's invested in a number of some great startups. And our CTO had moved there because he had a 3D printing pen company. Uh, and then our CEO ended up investing in it, sold at Best Buy, did really well. Um, but as a part of that, they connected with a former classmate of mine uh, who was at Indiegogo at the time because they were, were doing some crowdfunding around it. So when they had the idea to bring 3D, to take this idea for printing and bring it into the construction space. And the reason for that is, I mean, constructions, their whole thing was like, this is cool tech. What big idea can we try and solve? And the reality is construction is the last major industry to embrace new technology to unlock productivity. Every year, along with the, the impact that has on housing and find the fact that like by 2025, like one and a half billion people are gonna be dealing with housing scarcity uh, because of the lack of housing. It also means the industry is leaving a lot of money on the table. I think it's something like $1.6 trillion globally in un unrealized revenue just because the industry is not building as much as we could be. So there's a huge opportunity in terms of business as, and impact. And so they reached out to my friend Kate and were like, hey, we know you study sustainability. Do you know anyone who'd be interested in helping us with that and market research and compliance and other aspects? And she posted on our alumni Facebook page. I think I actually uh, suggested another friend who had been an advisor for my capstone. So my capstone, uh, me and my team developed a business model to take clean, virgin, uncontaminated plastic waste from hospitals and turn it into 3D printer filament. Uh, unfortunately, we we're at the time we were focused on polypropylene because that was the biggest one. Not much of a polypropylene filament market at that time, uh -huh. or or now even yet. Um, still, still a really cool concept. We'll see if it ever comes to reality. Um, and if anyone steals it. I want, I want royalties. Um, it's, but so that are, I've been, I mean, I've been fascinated with 3D printing ever since, and this is where you realize just how big a nerd I am. Um, ever since I realized that Star Trek replicators were just atomic level 3D printing with metergy modulation. <laughs> so That's like, awesome. so 3D, yeah. So 3D printing me is like something I've, I, it's, I've been fascinated by the concept. And so connected with uh, Slava, our CEO, we had lunch here in San Francisco at the uh, Tartin Manufacturing. He shared the, the vision with me and it just it clicked. It made sense to me. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a big idea that could solve some big problems. Because one of the cool things about housing is it's a lever for so many different issues, like social, environmental, economic. And so if you can, can really help solve some of the big housing issues, you're directly impacting some of these other major issues that we as a society are facing. And then, uh, um, and then obviously because business is important too, and not entirely altruistic. Um, you can also be a rounding error in the construction industry and be a multi-billion-dollar company. So there's that. So the opportunity for 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 growth in that regard is is, is huge as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, for me, it really is. It's about the impact. Um, it's about the ability to change how the world builds for the better, um, and in doing so, help elevate people, help empower people, give people housing dignity with housing, like housing with dignity. Um, but also, our reality is that we're not focusing on affordable housing right now. We're, we're focused on the missing middle. We're focusing on the people who make too much to get subsidized housing, uh, but still have issues attaining housing, uh, housing they can afford, particularly in places like the Bay Area. And so part of that is both because where we are now, we're just, that's not our price point. In the future though, and this is where I get excited because as I mentioned, we're already moving into single family homes. And one of the things we're doing right now is also accelerating a development of multi-story. So we're looking at town ability, hopefully by end of next year, have a prototype like four to five story, like three to five story townhouse or potentially, um, and obviously multi-story single family homes, but eventually like low rise multifamily apartments. 
So be able to address density um, and urban and suburban infill. That's that's something like where I get really, really excited as well. Because again, that's where we can have incredible impact. Um, and the opportunity for, for really deploying 3D printing is in that space is I think is very, it's, is the right opportunity, is right. It's a, it's an area that there's huge need. And I, I think 3D printing provides benefits like, such as the ability to do fully finished uh, biometric modules that have the exterior already on them. Because even with uh, prefabricated multifamily, you're generally taking a bunch of steel frame boxes, stacking them like Legos. Hopefully they align properly because if you get even like a quarter inch off um, on one, by the time you get to the end of the row, that's a couple feet. But then you still have to add all the cladding and the exterior and the finishes. And so it's like 3D printing holds promise to really accelerate the, and reduce the cost of that deployment while also making it easier to build on difficult to build sites. Uh, so that's something I'm, I'm really, really excited about, uh, particularly for 3D prefabricated 3D printing. Obviously, Apiscore and some others have already done uh, some on-site printing of like uh, two to four story um, buildings. but. I, that, I don't think that's going to lend itself to like six to 10, which is where we're, we're looking to get to eventually. Sure. And I imagine the, over the last 16, 18 months with COVID, like the, the conversation around housing, supply chain materials, wood construction, people moving, like that's probably helped your business just in terms of getting like people talking about it, right? Like you could yeah. talk, go into any yeah, it's, bar I mean, right the, now and talk about lumber and like it's on the main well, Right. Like yeah, my favorite meme of recently has been a picture of someone driving uh, with a trailer full of, of uh, timber and, and just says, look, I saw I passed a millionaire on the highway. <laughs> like it's it's legit. I mean, we're looking at literally, I think it was like $36,000 added to the cost of an average single family home um, just because of lumber didn't impact us. Uh, steel prices have increased by 20%. Some impact because we do incorporate some steel framing just as a safety buffer to make it easy for building officials to say yes. Uh, but we are accelerating with the with the fiber reinforced version of material, accelerating the, the re, uh, removal of that. But overall, it hasn't hasn't had a huge impact on us. I mean, the storm in Texas did a little um, because uh, that knocked out uh, polymer production in Houston for, for a little bit. And then there was like some force majeure issues with some of the other chemical. Like, it was one of those cascading things like supply chains, obviously globally are having issues to, to put it nicely. Um, but yeah, but it's definitely made our offering more competitive. Um, we are already about 40% less than comparable quality uh, units, but that, that's only increased with the increase in costs. Um, we've also seen contractors and developers here raising their prices as a way to reduce demand because they just don't have the people or the materials to build everything that people want to build. So that, that it creates an opportunity in that way as well. Yeah. And do you see that continuing or is that kind of a, certainly a in the near, uh, certainly in the near term, I mean, the, the lumber shortage is fast is a fascinating confluence of events. Uh, so the lumber shortage is due to many, one is a direct result of climate of the climate crisis. Um, one is that you the, uh, you had the fires of the last couple of years burning down millions of millions of trees that otherwise would have been lumber right now. Um, additionally, the reason those millions of trees are so right for burning is uh, bark beetles are decimated because are decimating uh, many of the forests, particularly up in Canada, and and those had been ones that were being saved for the last uh, their last harvest because they're usually on a uh, the, on a 50 to 60 year harvest cycle. So we were going already heading into one of the lean periods. Um, and the stock that was supposed to get through that burned. So that's that's so we're dealing with the uh, already a shortage of of lumber because of that. Additionally, when the pandemic hit, the industry shut down most of the lumber bills. They misjudged how quickly uh, demand would return, and it takes a little while to spin them back up. So that that then added to it as well. So it's been a fascinating uh, confluence of 
of events that brought uh, kind of brought that price there. But yeah, it's definitely been something that's been a positive for us and really highlights the importance of having supply chains for construction that are outside of those traditional materials. Um, and they're less prone to those, those impacts. Um, again, there's still impacts such as charge of shipping containers and other, other things that we are dealing with that are impacting the global supply chains like ours. But, but that's something that has, has definitely benefited us and is something that speaks to the importance of having a diversity of, of technologies in a sector in order to be as a, uh, eliminate as much of that risk as possible. Um, that, that's because that's only that risk is only going to get higher as we continue to see the uh, the building impacts of climate of the climate crisis. So, and what do you like with your tip like a, a typical customer that's going to buy kind of the house behind you? Like what what are they thinking? What yeah, are, so what's, the, what's their their drive to to go click? It, it, it really ranges. Uh, some people it's, oh my God, I don't have as much house as I thought I did. I need more space. Um, some people it's, hey, um, my kids were like, kids are moving, move back. Kids lost a job. Why don't, you, why don't you move back? Oh, but I want you to have privacy too. And so multi-generational living. We're also seeing that with, particularly with what we saw with um, senior centers. A lot, of, a lot of people are bringing their, their uh, old, older parents to live with them. Mm-hmm. But again, giving them their privacy and their space. That's one, another, both sides of that multi-generational. Uh, we're seeing a lot of baby boomers who are downsizing. So maybe they want less space and then rent out the house um, or, or rent out the ADU for that rental income. Uh, again, we're seeing people who just want a pool house, a little guest area, or maybe some more guest space. Uh, demographically, it's, they're all over the place. I mean, we get young professionals. We get uh, fam- like families with kids who are in their teens. We get families with kids who are in their like, uh, toddlers. Uh, we get retired uh, retired retired people so it really it really runs the whole uh, the whole gamut um but it's which is but it's exciting to see and most of them are here in the bay area but got a number in socal and uh that's going to continue to expand and then we're starting to look at again uh where where do we place that next mighty factory outside of california uh to begin to be able to really deliver to other markets because we're getting a lot of interest from across across the country and across the world um and so we're really excited to, to step into that and really really begin identifying um deploying to, to other markets as well and being able to utilize the local cost structures to make sure that what we're delivering is cost competitive uh outside of california and how do people kind of find out about this? I mean, like, even if like, say today, if I wanted to go build a house or somewhere like that's like, it's not like Yelp, right? Like you can just go like, there's a lot of involved, right? It's a big purchase. Like it is. Yeah. So this, like, like what's that, what's that been like? Yeah. So our sales team is amazing. Um, and they do a great job of, of trying to make the, the process as comfortable and as painless as possible. And so, Start by going to our website um, or attending one of our webinars. We often will give a discount uh, discounts on the climate um, compliance report stuff for, for attendees. Uh, used to be we get to people through targeted Instagram and Facebook ads uh, prior to coming out of stealth mode last August. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you go to our website. You uh, you can take a tour. We've got demo units here in Oakland. We also have some pop up units in SoCal, and uh, as well as, as here up in uh, Napa, Dal- San Diego. LA Coachella Valley, I believe is where they current, we currently have units uh, that people can uh, book tours for visits. Once you do that, you're going to fall in love with it. Cause I mean, I'm obviously biased, but they're beautiful. Uh, the quality is great. Uh, everyone's amazed how big the bathrooms are. Um, and then, yeah, you, you uh, place a deposit, which is just, I believe currently a thousand dollars when, and what that does is that gives us a commitment. And then we use that for those funds to do, um, a compliance check where we so we go go in confirm that you can actually there's actually room to place an ADU there send one of our team there either ourselves or one of our GC partners to the site to confirm all those measurements to check the uh, 
uh, utilities to see if there's any upgrades needed to and and do put everything together that we need to create a detailed estimate of what the actual costs are going to be. So much depends on, on the site work that's needed, how, like what's the delivery look like, does it need grading, does it need a retaining wall, what's, what's required there. And so once we have that, then we make a, put together a detailed estimate that we provide the customer, they side the contract, um, we take another deposit, um, which I think is like 20%, something like that, and we start work. And then we go through the permitting phase. And once the permitting, and right now the permitting, permitting is, has been one of the biggest uh, bottlenecks, just because a cities were already somewhat were many many communities were already slow before pandem the pandemic hit. Many when the when when the pandemic hit, many shut down completely. Others greatly reduced hours, and they had to transition to working remotely. And thank that's actually been one of the positives is that the pandemic has helped shift digitalization of. Of plan checks and of of permitting, uh, which is a is definitely a positive, but it's also meant that not only they're doing that transition, but they're doing the transitioning while on re reduced hours and all this. So we're still still seeing bottlenecks. They're slowly starting to, to get get through, but one so it takes usually anywhere from like two months to six months has been been what we're seeing. Uh, but once those are in hand, we can have the unit go from a blank slate to installed in a month. That's crazy. So. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. Like it's like it really like it's it's I love it. And we've got a number of units just waiting for permits on on the ground right on, on our shop floor right now, uh, ready to go out. And, and I think we got like something like thirty some odd in the backlog uh, that, are, that are going through the permitting process. So it's definitely an exciting time. And if anyone's interested, they can check it, uh, learn more at www.mightybuildings.com. Um, we also have some videos on our YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com/mightybuildings, where you can see the printing process. You can see uh, one of our deliveries and installations, a number of webinars uh, from our team members on the on the ADU buy, buying an ADU on finance seeing ADU on the whole process. So some great educational resources as well. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for telling the story and sharing with what you do. I mean, I think this is just an unbelievable opportunity to innovate, to make a difference, make an impact for the positive and in a lot of different ways. So I commend yeah, what well, you guys are doing and excited to, to see when you come to Chicago. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And really, really appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your listeners about what we're doing. And I hope we uh, hear from some. And yeah, very excited to uh, to get to Chicago as a, as a, as a Midwestern boy. I've uh, been, been dying to, to see some mighty buildings on the Great Lakes. For sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Thanks so much, Mike. <laughs> Perfect.